This evening's scripture reading will be Judges 1, 1 through 8. After Joshua died, the Israelites asked the Lord, who should lead the invasion against the Canaanites and launch the attack? The Lord said, the men of Judah should take the lead. Be sure of this, I am handing the land over to them. The men of Judah said to their relatives, the men of Simeon, invaded our allotted land with us and help us attack the Canaanites. Then we will go with you into your allotted land. So the men of Simeon went with them. The men of Judah attacked, and the Lord handed the Canaanites and Perizzites over to them. They killed 10,000 men at Bezek. They met Adoni Bezek at Bezek and fought him. They defeated the Canaanites and Perizzites. When Adoni Bezek ran away, they chased him and captured him. Then they cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings with thumbs and big toes cut off used to lick up food scraps under my table. God has repaid me for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem where he died. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and captured it. They put the sword to it and they set the city on fire. This is God's word. Please be seated. Please don't feel guilty if your heart was not warmed by <laughs> the reading of Scripture tonight. That's, um, that is the, uh, the book of Judges. And for a long time, I've been wanting to tackle Judges. I've been thinking about it for a long time. And so that's what we're going to do on Sunday night. We're going to begin a study of the book of Judges and to think about all of these events as they unfold historically in Israel and find what it is that God is trying to communicate to us as, as, as His people in the world as it is. And so, uh, thankful uh, to Jack for reading tonight. And let's begin with a word of prayer, and we're going to jump into sort of the introductory comments on, uh, on Judges. Father, we have come together tonight not only to sing and to pray, but also to listen. And to be still and to know that You are our, our God, and that even in a, a culture that seems to to be tearing that knowledge down and, and tamping it down, Father, and dampening Your presence and, and even the conversation about You in, in the culture that we live in, Father, we recognize as, as greatly as we recognize any other fact in this life is that You are our God and that You made us and that You love us and that You call us unto Yourself through Your Son Jesus and His cross and His gift of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. We look forward to the resurrection. But between now and then, Father, we eagerly listen for Your Word of instruction, Your, your Word of, of, of inspiration to us as we live out the remainder of the days of our lives, Father, in this life, bringing glory to You. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin with a, a story by a fellow by the name of J.R. Vassar who was ministering in, in Burma. And while he was there, one day, while they were at prayer, uh, uh, they walked through a large Buddhist temple. And he witnessed something that, that, that basically, for lack of another word, broke his heart. What he saw was a large number of people who were very poor. They were very desperate. They were bowing down to a large golden Buddha. And while they were bowing down and, and rising up and bowing down to this Buddha, they were stuffing 
what seemed to be a, a large amount of money, even the last of their money, into the treasury box, and then kneeling in prayer again and bowing down before that Buddha, hoping to secure a blessing from that idol. On the other side, now that's going on one side. They're bowing down, stuffing the money, asking for a blessing. On the other side of that large golden idol, there was scaffolding that had been built, and that Buddha, over the years, had begun to deteriorate, and a group of workers were diligently repairing the broken Buddha. Now, it was a surreal scene for Vassar, and he said, broken people were bowing down to a broken Buddha, asking the broken Buddha to fix their broken lives while someone else fixed the broken Buddha. That, in a nutshell, is the problem of idols and the moral storyline of of Judges. It is the modern storyline as well. Here's a quote from, uh, from uh, Becky Manley Pippert out of the, the book that was written back in the 1980s, a book entitled Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. She writes, and I think we have it up here on the screen. Next slide. Whatever controls us really is our God. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves we are controlled by the Lord of our life. End of quote. Now that's the point of intersection that we have with the book of Judges. Both ancient Israel and our modern world encounters a, path, a pantheon of would-be lords and would-be gods. In the ancient world, Israel as a fairly new nation would enter this promised land by the promise and the power of God. They would encounter cities and perceptions of cultural sophistication and the Canaanite gods and all of, all of the, the, the cultic practices of those gods. And the question as we read through Joshua and enter into Judges, will they recognize how God surpasses all human achievement and remain faithful to the One who revealed Himself in the Exodus story with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand? Will they recognize that the meaning and substance that He gives to life surpasses that of idols? Now, our world operates under the same illusion of some historical trajectory of progress that's shored up by ever-increasing technological advancement. We do not see the glass ceiling of human improvement. Even though we keep banging our head into it, we do not see that glass ceiling called human fallenness. We think humans are getting better and better and better because we're able to build faster cars, faster uh, faster planes, and better microwaves. But the problem is that it's much easier to put a man on the moon than to build a better human heart. You see, the fundamental problem with humans is not technological, and it's not economical, and it's not political, but ultimately spiritual. And in Judges, what you find is as good a book as you will find in the Bible to open our eyes to that fact. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the historical storyline by way of introduction tonight by just mentioning a couple of lessons found in the pages of this book. Number one, human beings need a king who is a savior. Human beings need a king who is a savior. Two weeks ago in a lesson on Jesus' call to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the call to follow Him and to be His disciples, and He will make them fishers of men, I made the following statement, that human beings flourish in the presence of the King. Creation theology, that is the beginning theology of the Bible, makes this plain. We are created in the image of God, the emphasis on created. 
We are not built to blossom and prosper in autonomy. The very first sin and the reason things are the way that they are is simply because we wanted to be God, we wanted to be like God, we wanted to have that kind of autonomy in our lives. We wanted and still want to be master of the house and keeper of the zoo. And that's why nothing changes in history. And few books in the Bible rival, quite frankly, the expression of evil that is found in the books on the pages of the book of Judges. That evil finds its expression in the inclinations and actions of humans in the story. <laughs> these these are, are, are not happy, fuzzy stories. These are horrific stories that are unrivaled in, in, in the rest of the Bible. Judges is not a happy, warm, and fuzzy book. Chapter 3. Ehud delivers Israel from Moab by assassinating King Eglon, who is a very fat man, and when Ehud stabs him, the fat engulfs the sword, and Ehud can barely get his hand free as he tries to escape. It's a gross story. In chapter 4, Jael drives a tent peg through the temple of Sisera, the Canaanite enemy of Israel, while he hid himself and slept in her tent after being defeated in battle. And she brags about the fact that she drove a tent peg through the temple of a man's head. In chapter 11, Jephthah, a judge, makes a tragic vow to the Lord to make a burnt sacrifice of whoever came out of his house to him, turned out to be his daughter, if he was victorious over the Ammonites. And he was, and he kept his vow and he kept his word. Samson marries the daughter of a Philistine in chapter 14 and gets into an escalating sort of a tit-for-tat contest with the Philistines that culminates with his wife and her dad being burned alive in their home by the Philistines. Toward the end of the book, that is chapter 19, a concubine is raped by several worthless men from Gibeah, from the tribe of Benjamin, and she dies because of the, 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 the rape. In retaliation, she is cut up into 12 pieces, and the pieces sent to the 12 tribes of Israel, and civil war breaks out against the tribe of Benjamin, and 25,000 of their young people are killed because of this crime. Judges... Is, is a book filled with 300 to 350 years of gruesome human activity. And the optimism uh, in which the book opens after Joshua concludes collapses with a thud. We hope that Israel, after the initial failure to enter the land and the subsequent wandering in the desert until that faithless generation has gone, it coupled with the, the successes of entering into the land, puts... Israel on the verge of fulfilling the other part of the promise that's made to Abraham that he and his people would be a blessing to the entire world. And so the beginning of the book starts well. Israel in chapter 1 verse 1 inquires of the Lord about how to move forward. Victories are granted to Judah who is going to take the lead. The Lord who is with Joshua is still with the people and he gives them triumph through Judah and through Simeon. But then in chapter 2 the tone turns ominous. Chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the Lord's servant, died at the age of 110. The people buried him in his allotted land in Timnath Hades, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. That entire generation passed away. A new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what He had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil before the Lord by worshiping the Baals, or the Baals, they abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods, the gods of the nations who lived around them. They worshipped them and made the Lord angry. They abandoned the Lord and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreths 
The Lord was furious with Israel and handed them over to robbers who plundered them. He turned them over to their enemies who lived around them. They could not withstand their enemies' attacks. Whenever they went out to fight, the Lord did them harm, just as He had warned and solemnly vowed He would do. They suffered greatly. The Lord raised up leaders who delivered them from these robbers, but they did not obey their leaders. Instead, they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned aside from the path their ancestors had walked. Their ancestors had obeyed the Lord's commands, but they did not. When the Lord raised up leaders for them, the Lord was with each leader and delivered the people from their enemies while the leader remained alive. The Lord felt sorry for them when they cried out in agony because of, their harsh, because of what their harsh oppressors did to them. When a leader died, the next generation would again act more wickedly. Let me read that again. When the leader died the next generation would again act more wickedly than the previous one. That's why that, that, uh, that trajectory of progress is, is, is mythic. The next generation would again act more wickedly than the previous one. They would follow after other gods, worship, worshiping them and bowing down to them. They did not give up their practices or their stubborn ways. And what follows in the rest of the book is, is sort of this, this cycle, this degeneration into apostasy. And there is a refrain throughout the book. We've already heard it in chapter 2, verse 11. But again in chapter 3, verse 7, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and the Asherahs. In chapter 3, verse 12, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. In chapter 4, verse 1, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Chapter 6 and verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord turned them over to Midian for seven years. In chapter 10, verse 6, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. In Judges chapter 13, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. Again and again and again and again and again. Why? Chapter 21, verse 25. It shows up in other places, but chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Each man did what he considered to be right. And the nature of Israel without faithfulness to God as king would begin to reveal itself over and over and over again. This is what human beings become when they do not recognize and follow God as King and Savior. Over and over and over again, it is pressed home that humans need not better role models. What they need, what humans need, is a true King and a true Savior. Number two, spirituality must be continually methodically renewed. Again and again and again and again and again and again. The people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? At least two reasons. One of the realities of life is challenge. Life is not experienced in a vacuum. There will be challenges. And even if you live in isolation without any contact with the outside world or with other people, you will still have to deal with your fallen nature and your thought life and your emotional life. There's a, there's a reality show, and I, I think it's called Alone. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I've not really seen it, but uh, I've seen the ads for it. 
And, and the ads are always, you know, they started off with like 10 guys living alone without any camera crew. They're their own camera crew. They have these GoPros and they're, they're filming themselves. And they're out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the wilderness, where there are bears and, and lions and, and danger, without any food, without any water, and they have to survive. And you would think, well, here's an opportunity for guys to really shine. And what happens is that even though they do not have contact with any of the outside world, there are no outside influences in their life. What happens is you begin to see them deal with their own emotional life and their, and their, their own thought life and what's going on in their heart and in their mind and in their soul. And one of the really sad realities expressed again and again in Judges is that spirituality, if not renewed, if not maintained, if not massaged, if not worked, if not efforts being given to, that spirituality will decline. And that is the sad, monotonous cycle of Judges. Decline and crisis and uh, intervention and salvation. Spirituality must be continually and methodically renewed because we do not live in a vacuum. And secondly, because there is an active, malevolent being that has as its sole purpose, its sole purpose of, of existence, your downfall. And one of the teachings in the Old Testament and the New Testament, primarily the New Testament, where you find more and more uh, expressed about the evil one, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, do not give the devil a what? A foothold. Number three, God's lordship is over all of your life and not just some of your life. God's Lordship is over all of your life and not just some of your life. God desired that Joshua and Israel take sole possession of the land. And the job was nearly completed. They're working and they're working and they're working, but there are still idols in the land. And all of a sudden you begin to read where all of these tribes begin to sort of uh, back off of that work and begin to, to, to live among the idols in a way that God did not intend. And these idols began to wield influence in the lives of Israel's to Israel's detriment. Why? Because Israel was not experiencing that continual, methodical, spiritual renewal. And then the last thing that we'll look at tonight is God is faithful even when His people do not deserve or appreciate it. Now that word again, that shows up over and over again, Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 10, chapter 13 about the, the, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Again and again and again and again. You look at it from one angle and you go, man, human beings are just not that great. Living in the presence of God, seeing, uh, uh, having an interaction with, with God that is, that is palpable and tangible and, it, and it's visceral. I mean, God is there and God is delivering and God is making His will known and God is raising people up and God is working actively with His people. But again and again and again and again, they take their eyes off of God and put their eyes on the idols. And so, from one angle, that again and again and again and again sort of sounds like, well, you know, human beings are not that great. But the flip side of that is, again and again and again and again and again, the Lord delivers. You know, you look, at a, you look at a parent of a child who is continually getting into trouble again and again and again and again and again. You know, one part of that story is that here is a kid that's really, really troubled. The other side of that story is about a parent whose love is faithfulness and, and continual and persevering with that child. 
And one of the things that just comes out of the text, just lifts out of the text every time you read it, is that God is faithful to His people. That the one thing that you can count on in this life is God Himself. That the one thing that you can take to the bank is God's promise. The one thing that you can count on in this life is God's presence and God's promises being true. And God is faithful even when His people do not deserve or appreciate it. A judge is, is not really a feel-good book. In Judges, you see over and over again what human beings become if God and a profound understanding of God is not at the very center of a human life. And it's not a pretty picture. But the optimism returns when we see the faithfulness of God. We see the patience and the compassion, the mercy and the love and the grace. And we do see the storyline that Israel, all of Israel, God's people, heading someplace. Tonight, we're going to sing one, an, another song. And uh, while Ben is leading us in that song, one of the challenges before us is to think about our own life. You know, it's so easy to think of the Old Testament as ancient history, as a history that we are far removed from. And in some ways that we are. You know, in the modern world, there are things that, that we do and say and experience and, and live by that are not a part of that ancient world. But in terms of the moral and the spiritual and, and the relational uh, storyline with God, it is the same. And, and one of the things that we get out of Judges is that regardless, regardless of how bad it can get by our own hand, there is a God who sees and knows and, and does what is necessary, sometimes in discipline, but always in love, to bring us back to Himself. Even when we don't have the eyes to see it or the ears to hear it in such a way that it changes us completely. He still works with humans. And while we're singing this song tonight, Maybe one of the things that you've noticed about your own life is that you keep running straight into a, into a brick wall. Maybe you keep reminding yourself that something's got to change, something's got to change. Well, the one thing that's got to change, if that describes your life, is you've got to take the hands off of the steering wheel. At some point, you have to recognize that if your life is going to flourish as a human being, it's going to be in the presence of God as King and God as Savior. That's going to lead you to a spiritual life that is not just that is not just needing to be renewed, but is a, a blessing to your life every single moment. And that God's Lordship is not a bad thing, and that's why it has to be over all of our life and not just some of our life. And in the end, we learn to praise God for His faithfulness because He is faithful to us and loves us. And His chesed, His loyalty to us extends throughout the ages even when we don't fully appreciate it or see it or understand it. That is the God that calls us to be His children. And if that is not a call that you have listened to and obeyed, then we give you that invitation tonight to come forward during the singing of the song and to talk to these shepherds who are down here at the front, our spiritual leaders. They will talk to you about that very message. How you come into relationship for all of eternity with God. And you can do that right now as we stand and sing together. Can hear my 